All right, Matthew chapter number 5, we are dealing with kingdom perspective. That is the subject of this study, the kingdom perspective, and kind of going through the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't know about you, but those Beatitudes kind of wrecked me after I studied them. I'm like, yeah, I need to, I've got a lot of work that I need uh, when it comes to living for the Lord. I don't know about you, but, and I think the study today is no different. We are in Matthew chapter number 5, and we are dealing with salt and light. Salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. We're going to start reading there, and that's going to be our study text. Let me move this so everybody can see it here. Hopefully everybody can see that. Matthew chapter 5, we're dealing with salt and light. Verse number 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One writer called the Beatitudes beautiful attitudes. This inner character of kingdom people. These inner characteristics are essentially inner, interior And we become tempted to live our lives in isolation and in in private from a world that is contradicted to everything that has to do with God. But these beautiful attitudes, these beatitudes that we studied last Sunday were never meant to be lived in private. These inner characteristics of kingdom people They have an outer dimension to them. They become a powerful force when they're put to work. Jesus instructs us how to live and relate now to a fallen world. He says, you are salt and you are light, so be who God wants you to be for the glory of God. The first thing I want us to consider this morning is the guilt, the difficulty of living the kingdom life. The difficulty in living the kingdom life. I want you to note in verse number 10 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. You falsely on my account. Verse number 11 is pretty clear. Don't take it personal. 
Jesus said, it's all because of me. Rejoice and be glad, verse 12, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These beautiful attitudes, this inner character that we are to live out in this outer dimension, becoming a force to be lived out when it is put to work socially, outwardly. There's a difficulty in living the kingdom life. It is not easy to live for Jesus in a society and in a culture that does not like anything to do with God and they refuse to admit that they need help and embrace behaviors and lifestyles that are clearly defined as sin in the Bible. The dislike exists because we're no longer the people we used to be. We've been radically changed, radically different by the grace of God. So I cannot do, I cannot go, I cannot feel, I cannot associate, I cannot cultivate attitudes with what my life used to be. So the price for following Jesus is I have to be ready to be hated. I have to be ready to be rejected. I have to be ready to be disliked. I have to be ready to be talked about for the sake of Christ. And so people don't get it. Living for something greater, living for something outside of myself, people don't get it. My friends don't get it. My family doesn't get it. My coworkers don't get it. Our society doesn't get it. The world doesn't get it. And so living for Jesus is hard, but I don't stop living. What it does do is it tells me that I'm part of a different kingdom now. And so compromise does not make it easier to live for Jesus. It just forfeits his blessings on my life. And so it's hard to live for Jesus in a world, in a culture, in a society that doesn't like anything that has to do with God. That's number one. Number two, there is a distinctiveness about kingdom people. I think this is important that we understand that Christians are essential forces in the world. We are different maker, difference makers. We are life changers. God's people are world shakers. Amen. We are Jesus to people. We are Christ's hands. We are Christ's feet. We are his eyes. We are his ears. We are his voice. And so believers are an essential force in this world. This world would be hopeless, church. If you took Christ out of it, if you took the church out of it, if you took Christians out of this world, how hopeless it would really be. If you removed all that out of it. And so there is this distinctiveness. Churches on corners and Christians in communities 
prevent things from going to hell in a handbasket. We exist, and I think it's important we understand that we exist for the purpose of affecting the world for Jesus. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, these men who have turned the world upside down. We are difference makers. We are life changers. We are world shakers for the kingdom. There is a distinctiveness about us, church. We are a force in this world. You say, things are bad, Pastor. Could you imagine what it would be like if there were no churches and were no Christians and, and, and there were no gospel preaching? Could you imagine how it would be then? And we must understand how important it is. This world is indebted to us for even existing in this world. Because it would go to hell in a handbasket in a quick way. Things would unravel so fast, we wouldn't know what to expect if there wasn't this restraining force that God has left. God, no pun intended, has poured the salt into this world to keep it from actually going completely bad. And it's bad. There's a distinctiveness about us. Thank God, this year, 19 years ago, God said, I'm going to open up that building on that corner. There's a distinctiveness. We have a, we, listen, we get in the way of evil trying to take over. You know the one thing that's standing between Satan and a complete takeover is God's people. The church. That's it. And so these beautiful attitudes that you and I, Jesus said that you as kingdom people, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, hungry people, peacemakers, pure in heart. He said, I'm going to show you how to live now in a fallen world. And so we come now, number three, to describing kingdom life. It's difficult living for Jesus. And it ain't getting easier, loved ones. But that doesn't mean we compromise to make it easier because that only takes God's hand off of us. Right? We don't do that. When Jesus saved you, when you became a believer, He didn't say it was going to be easy. He said, in fact, in verse 10, 11, and 12, just consider happiness when you... Find people talking about you and find people treating you wrong and not being accepted and not being liked. And Blessed are you. Happy are you when this happens. You know why? Because it lets you know, hey, I'm not of this kingdom. I'm of a different kingdom. What is the old saying we always say? Man, if hell is fighting, we must be doing something right. Amen. Amen. If the devil's mad, good. That means we're getting in the way. That's what we want. I thought about this when I was studying for this lesson this morning. It seems like evil is winning right now. And it could be 
that God's people aren't living. That's why evil's winning. When God's people begin to live, evil is what? Restrained. Corruption is kind of retarded down and kept and things are bad, but they're not as bad as they could be because thank God the doors will open again. Christians will get up tomorrow morning. Christians will be on their knees praying in this sanctuary. People will be reading their Bibles. So what does living the kingdom life look like? Well, Jesus kind of describes it here. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are what? The poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. And now Jesus comes down to verse number 13 to verse 16. And he said, listen, this is how you relate to a fallen world now. You live a contrasting life. Do you know what Beatitudes look like in the Christian life? They look like salt and they look like light. That's what the Beatitudes look like. We have this inner character. Okay, That doesn't mean you live isolated. That doesn't mean you live private. But man, this thing becomes very dangerous when it is put to work in a believer's life. And we become dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. We become a threat to the domain of evil. And Jesus said, now that you are poor in spirit, now that you're meek and, 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 and merciful and, and pure in heart, and you're hungry, you're a peacemaker, you're really salt and really light is what you are. Because you just don't have these internal characteristics that you just enjoy until the day you draw your last breath and then go to be with God. No, you, be, you need to be a force in the world. Is what he's saying. I relate to a fallen world by living a contrasting life that looks like salt and life. Not a compatible life. I do not live compatible to this world. I live contrasting this world. When the world's going this way, I'm going this way. I'm going against the current. I'm going against the grain. I'm going against the culture. That's a difference maker. That's a world shaker. That's a life changer. Because listen, when you've got somebody going opposite direction to everybody else is going, it kind of gets people's attention. In verses 10 through 12, it could get their attention in a bad way. They could start really putting it to you, putting the screws to you, putting the pressure to you. Oppression. And don't think that the Satan won't get behind that. Making it hard. Making it tough. But it will get their attention. And that's a problem. The world, listen, the church has blended so well that we no longer get anybody's attention. Because we blended so well. We, we've changed so much to kind of accommodate. And so we're no longer contrasting. We're just going in the same direction. Just... And so he says, this is what it looks like. I want you to know, you've got your Bibles open. I'm going to go back to the text here if you don't mind. You see right here, you. Right here, this, this word right here, you. It's a very interesting word. You, he says it again over here in verse 14. You, 
You are the salt of the earth, he said. You are the light of the world. You, you. It's emphatic in the Greek. It, it, it really means you alone are the light. You alone are salt. And look what Jesus is doing here. He is shifting. He goes from second person, all right? I mean third person, I'm sorry, verses 3 through 9, to second person, you. He goes from those to you. He draws that thing down, very personal. You, blessed are they, but, but you are. And so he, he, he brings that thing down into the second person. So he shifts from character, verses 3 through 9, to the impact that our characters have on the world. And that looks like salt and light. So he takes all these beatitudes and pulls them into two categories. You're salt and you're light. You. Those. You. Brings that thing down. Now I want you to see another word here. You see this word right here? Say it. What is that word? Are. You are. That's a great word in the Greek. And he also says it here. You are the light of the world. You are. You are. You are. It's a very interesting little word there because that's in an indicative mood. It's a mood of reality. So here's what Jesus is saying. Kingdom people living kingdom values really have this salt-light factor about their life. In other words, people who are kingdom people living kingdom values are different people and it's obvious they're different. Why? Because of the life they live. What's on the inside is coming out the outside. In the form of salt and light. So everything that you are to be inside comes out in two forms. Salt and light. Salt and light. You are. So these people that are kingdom people, living kingdom values, they really do, they really are different people. That's what he's saying. And it's also in the present tense, if you read it, which means it's a continued saltiness. It's a continued light. It's not day in and day out, whatever I feel like it or not. No, every day you're living a salty life. Every day you're living a light life. Christians need to be salty Christians every day of their life. Lighted, lit Christians. So here's a good point for us to kind of break off and get a personal application. Here it is. You ready? I have a purpose now in God's plan. Listen, I want you to get something. Really, I want you to let it sink in. I become this invaluable part of God's work. I don't seek an ulterior purpose. There is no plan B. I am salt and I am light. Man, these ministers that are talking about, man, you need to find God's purpose for your life. You don't have to look life. You don't have to look far. Look in chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. God said, I need you to be salt. I need you to be light. What you've got on the inside needs to come out as salt and light. That's the plan. That's the purpose. It's not some magical formula that you alone get from God like you're some special person. No, he said, I need my people to be salt. I need my people to be light. There is no plan B. It's plan A. That's it. Your kingdom people live in kingdom values, okay? Don't go on some quest to try to find some secret about your life. Here's the secret. It's out. Be salt, be light. The secret's out. You have to worry about it now. Isn't that a relief? Who 
I couldn't find my plan. I was trying to figure it out. There it is, man. That's it. That's it. People say, I'm trying to find the will of God. Perfect. Right here it is. Be salt and be light. Be a salty Christian and be lit, man, for Jesus. Be lit for Jesus. So salt, let's break this down, if you don't mind. Verse 13. Here's a question we seek to answer. Let me get back to describing the kingdom life. Here's a question I want you to consider. Are you salting your society? Are you salting your society? Are you salting your culture? Are you salting your world? Are you salting wherever it is God has put you? You say, what does that mean? Poor in spirit, meek, merciful, pure of heart. You're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And it's coming out in the form of salt. It's coming out in the form of light. All right? Salt. Now, I want you to understand something. Salt works privately. Okay? Nobody actually sees salt doing what it needs to do. But it does it. So this has to do with our private life. All right? Nobody sees what you're doing. You're just doing it. Boy, I'll tell you, that's a great word for somebody. Salt is not seen in what it does. It just works. It just does its thing. Amen? And so this is the private life of the Christian. Holy living preserves from sin dominating. The only reason we see sin kind of taking a, 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 a kind of a move ahead in this race that we call life is because there's been some kind of letdown or downplay or, 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 or let up on holy living from God's people. We live against what we don't accept. Do you mind if I stop there just for a moment? Because here's what the Bible said. You can verbally stand against something or you can live against something. Verbal standing will get you nowhere. Except what? Mad and angry and arguments. And there ain't nothing in that. But living about what you're against, holy living... Retards corruption in the culture. It holds it back. And I think in the day we live, we need some people to start living for Jesus. Quit talking about what needs to be fixed and live a contrary life to it. Gifts, hey, what's wrong with God's people giving the world something else to look at? And say, oh, that's what that life looks like. Right? Yeah. I'm telling you, man, this Sermon on the Mount will wreck you in a hurry. I heard a guy this week say, this is a, one of the most unpopular sermons ever preached. It's a Sermon on the Mount. It's the most unpopular sermon. Some of the stuff Jesus deals with don't set well. But they, it's needed. Because here's what we need to understand about salt. Christians and churches are the moral influence in this world. Do you understand that? We need to be, we are called to be, we by God have been ordained to be the standard, y'all, of moral influence in this world. 
How else is this world going to know what it looks like to live and follow Christ if they've got a bad example set before them? Here's the problem. The church has become sugar to the world and not salt to the world. And that's the downfall of the church and Christians. We would rather sweeten people's lives than salt their life. We don't really want to be offensive. We don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. We don't want to be that, that man that's, you know, kind of, man, oh, there comes old what's-his-name again. We're going to hear it. No, just live it. But here's what you need to understand. We have got to stop being sugar to this world and be salt. Salt. Now, look at this. Salt stimulates thirst. Jesus told the woman at the well, You drink this water that I give you, you will neither thirst again and it will swell up in you a well of living water. You know what she said? Sir, give me this water that I don't have to come and draw ever again. You know what's wrong? Here's here's the problem, church. The world, the culture, the society no longer come to church and say, could you give me that water that you've got? Because we're sugar and not salt. Salt stimulates thirst. Now here's another thing you need to understand. Look what Jesus said here in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, if salt becomes foolish, if salt begins to do what? Mix itself with other elements. It loses its saltiness. Sin Maybe I'm letting up on Christian disciplines. Maybe I'm giving in to lust or ignoring the warning signs that God's putting before me or just taking living for Jesus. I'm not taking it serious. Guess what? The problem is when we start mixing sin and lust and start letting down on what God has called us to do, and that is to live our lives for Christ, we ignore the warning signs. We come to church, the Holy Spirit of God begins to convict us, and we kind of ignore it and push it off, and we don't take living for Jesus serious. Guess what he said? He said, you are tasteless salt, and you are good for nothing. You bring nothing to the table. You bring nothing to the kingdom. You make no impact. You're just there. And he said, the only thing you're good for is to be what? Cast out. Paul called it a castaway. So let me ask you something. What kind of impact are you making for the kingdom? What kind of impact is our church making for the kingdom? Are we bringing anything to the table for the kingdom of God in Fort Stockton, Texas? Because God said, if you lose your tastelessness, your saltiness, and you become a tasteless Believer in a tasteless church, you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing. Luke says you're not even fit for a manure pile. Listen, church, we can become so useless to God that we are good for nothing for the kingdom. Listen to me, y'all. Number two. Light, he says in verse 14. Here's a question we seek to answer. Are you visible enough so people can see? This is our public life. Now, our private life, yes. Now, this is our public life. Because, listen, I want you to understand. Look what he said in verse 14. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Every time I read verse 14, I think about West Texas. At night driving, you can see little communities. They're lit up. You can't deny them, and they're not invisible. They're there. Amen? Whatever darkness there is out here, it's kind of dispersed by what? These little communities lit up. Amen? Go think on that for a little bit. Verse number 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, I need your light to shine before others. I need you to be visible. I need them, I need them to see. How many of you believe with all your heart that we're living in very dark times? You believe that? I believe that, don't you? Let me ask you something. Are you visible enough so people can see Listen to me. Number one, listen to me. The world and everybody who lives in it is dominated by spiritual darkness. And John chapter 3 verse 19 tells us they love it. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because what? Light exposes their life. That's what happens. You wonder, you wonder why we have to deal with verse 10 through 12. You wonder why we're persecuted and talked about and, and, and treated the way we are? It's because if we're truly living kingdom values, we live so people can see. Can, can I say it again? You don't have to say much if you're living out what you're against. You won't even have to open your mouth if you're living like you need to. Your influence will be enough light. And they love light. I mean darkness rather than light because light what? Exposes their sin. You won't have to go and, and say a word to them just the way you live. And that's what Jesus, that's the point he's making. Whatever's inner you, in you, that's characteristics in you, it has to be light and salt. Just live it. Live it. The darkness is so real, the world desperately needs Jesus. They need the church. They need Christians. But the devil wants to keep everybody in the dark. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. So what is the function of light? Let me give you two examples that Jesus gave. Number one, cities set on a hill... Verse 14, there is no, look at me, there's no such thing as invisible Christians. There's no such thing as an invisible Christian. You're either visible or you're not. They either know who you are or there's no such thing as a visible, an invisible Christian, Jesus said. You set a city on a hill, you'll see it. How many of you have drove down these old roads at night in the dark and see all the little communities out there and you're thinking, man, there's a lot of towns out there I didn't know existed. You see the lights from the oil rig fields and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of light out there. They're not invisible. They're clearly seen. You can see them. Right? God, you know what God said? I need you to be like that. When, when, when people are trucking along during life, they see that, oh, there's light. Uh, they drive by your house and say, there's light. They pass your desk at work. There's light. There's light right there. Are you visible, he said. Then the second example he gives is this. A lamp. Christians give light to everybody. And light reveals things for how they really are. 
So here's what you need to understand. Light is placed where it can best be used. So here's what you need to understand. Wherever God has put you, whatever table you occupy, whether it's school, whether it's a camp, whatever it is, what it looks like, whether it's a job, whatever that looks like, you're a student, wherever God has put you at on your table, whatever your table is, however you define that table that God has put you on, he said, I'm not going to cover you up. Man, I want you to shine so everybody in the room can see it. You know what your table is, where God's put you. Yeah. Y'all know where that's at. I don't have to, and God said, I need you to shine there. Quit griping about your table and just shine. We gripe more about our tables than we ever do about what? Not being what we need to be for Jesus. I don't like my table, Lord. Jesus said, I need you to shine where you've been put. One old preacher in the mountains used to say, you need to grow where you've been planted. I was told when I was in seminary that God created trees for every possum to hang in. And you've got a tree to hang in, boys. Find out what that is. And we spent our life trying to figure out what tree we needed to hang in. And I found mine. Just all the way in West Texas where there are no trees. (laughs) So I hang in a pecan tree. Or a mesquite bush. But he said, listen, whatever table you're on, that's where I need, because a, ta- a lamp set on the table shines for everybody to see. So what do, what do Beatitudes look like? They look like salt and light. Private life, public life. Private. And here's what, here's, isn't it interesting how Jesus kind of puts this together? He puts your private life before your public life. Now, let's, let's, let's end. I'm done. Let's end this. Here's our takeaway, verse 16. Here it is. In the same way, just like salt and just like light, say, I'm salt. I'm light. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now look at me. Here is is part of plan A. You ready? Say, what's my purpose for being a Christian? I gotta find my purpose. I'm looking for purpose. I gotta get in God's plan. Okay, it's simple. Salt, light, salt, light, salt, light. You say, what? Well, okay, so what's my objective? You want others to give glory to God by the life you live. You want somebody to see God in your life. You want somebody to see Jesus in you. Not by what you say, okay? Not by getting on a soapbox. All right, and screaming about what you may not like or may not agree with. Just live as salt and light in this world. He said, live what you are against. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I read that this week, I had to stop and say, Lord, I need to do that more. Live what I'm against. If you're light, then shine, he says. So, So he tells you what light is, good works. So what is good works? It means you have compassion for other people. And there's an attractiveness when I love other people. So in other words, this, 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 let, me sew this, let me put a needle in this and just put a knot in it. Okay? Here's what he's saying. You ready? Say, I'm ready. Here's what he's saying. Live what you're against 
and do good to everyone. So when you do it, your light will shine so bright, they'll give God glory. Listen, you know what Paul said? We don't fight against flesh and blood. Our war is not with people. Our war is with a prince of the power of the air. And as long as, we, as long as we're occupying real estate in Fort Stockton, Texas, he's bothered, church. He wanted his church to stay closed. He wanted it to stay empty. He didn't want it to be open. He didn't want you sitting there. But guess what? He didn't get what he wanted. Jesus, what? Overcame. He, what? took the lead. He said, yes, it will be open. I need you to be light. I need you to be salt. And how do we do that? I live these interior characteristics by being kind to people, by being compassionate to people, by loving them and embracing them, no matter who they are, what they are, what they're in, what they've done. Love them, love them. And he said, man, when that light shines, they will give glory to God. Amen. Thank God. Listen, thank God. And I hope he don't get to listen to this sermon because I don't want my brother to think I like him that much. But thank God my brother loved me when I was just a drunk enough to lead me to Christ. He accepted me, loved me, embraced me, didn't try to verbally fix me, but just lived it, 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 lived it. And here I am 30 years later. The light makes a difference, y'all. Light makes a difference. Y'all understand that? Here's something. I got to be done. Christians live to be felt and not seen. I live to be felt and not seen. So... Impact. I live to change the world. I live to make a difference in somebody's life. I want somebody to change. I want somebody to turn to Christ. I have to live that way. Salt, light, salt, light, salt, light. Peacemakers are salt. Poor in spirit are salt. What? Pure in heart are salt and light. Meek people are salt and light. Merciful people are salt and light. That's what we are. That's what it looks like. What do people feel when I'm around? Does my life speak about what I don't accept? Are you salting your society? Are you living visibly so people can see? Where are we at, church? God pretty much, Jesus pretty much just laid it out there. How many of you have ever studied the Beatitudes and never knew that what they looked like was really salt and light? See it? So where are we at? Where's your life at? Is it salty? Is it... Is, is, is it visible? Are you griping about your table? And God said, I'm, listen, you can gripe all you want, but that's where I put you. When you start shining, I'm going to start blessing you. Right? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Where are you at? Where are you at in all this? Where are we at, Church? As a church, as a collective body of Christ, where are we at in this? Are we loving people? Are we doing good works in front of others so they could see God and glorify Him? 
Are we one of those isolated Christians, those private Christians that I'm just going to do my thing, I'm going to do me, and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to focus on me? And God said, you're not, you're not doing it. You need to be light. How many of us are being light and salt, salt and light? How, are, church, are we salty? Church, are we lit for Jesus in this dark community? How many of you are griping about the table God's put you on? And God said, you know what? You need to stop doing that and start being brighter than you've ever been in front of those people. I think it's a time we do self-evaluation and, and start really searching our hearts. There are people who need to be, what? Delivered from the darkness. Delivered from bondage. Delivered from this, what? The chains that Satan has bound them up in. They need to be set free by Christ. And you're the connection, church. You're the vital link. Don't think they're going to come find it on their own. They're in the dark. That's why God put you out in the community so you can shine. And when you shine, you're pointing them straight to who? Him. I think it's time we do a heart search and say, Lord, where are we at? Show me, Lord. Let the Spirit of God dig around in my soul. Do something, Lord. This altar's open. I beseech you. I beg you. Come. Don't sit. Come. Father, in the name of Jesus, work in this invitation as only you can. In Jesus' name.